0: Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. This is the first real podcast of the beekeeping season of 2021. I'm back. Had to take a little break there just to pull myself together (laughs) after 2020. I guess a lot of us needed that. Just took a a little rest in between work and, and usual life. But I am delighted to be back here with you. Here in western North Carolina, spring is getting started. In the high mountains, we are having daffodils and the maples are starting to bloom. When it's not rainy and blustery and chilly, the bees are flying, they're building up, they're bringing in pollen. It's quite delightful. It feels like coming back to life in so many ways after the year and the winter that we had. I'd like to say that I had a phenomenal winter survival rate of my bees, but I did not. I made some beekeeper errors that I kind of told you, I think in the December, I said, you know, I'm getting a bad feeling about my shed bees, the bees that were in the shed, the little tiny nukes, mating nukes that I had uh, tried to grow into viable size for the winter. I did not succeed in that experiment. In hindsight, I think I changed too many variables at once. Part of it was not my fault directly. <laughs> the, I'll, I'll talk about that one small part uh, first. And that is that we had an unusual winter. It didn't, overall, It did, it's definitely not been a long winter. And overall, it hasn't really felt that hard, but there was a lot of up and down. It got cold here early in December cold hard fast and and overall that was not good on on the little tiny bees of course the thank god the the big bigger outside bees they did pretty good I'll I'll tell you I you know I put too many eggs in that basket <laughs> i gotten cocky I've told you this can happen with bees and that bees will humble you every time I'd had such good luck for a couple of years of working with overwintered nukes, and then winter before last had phenomenal luck of uh, using these little tiny late summer nukes, growing them up to just big enough that um, from their little boxes inside a shed, even though they fly out in the world, um, that they did fabulous. And so... They came out of, last spring, they came out of winter just rip-roaring, and I thought I was on to something. And I'm not willing to give up the idea completely, but I did some things wrong. Uh, I had mentioned early that they were definitely too small. I was a little bit worried about it, you know, toward the end of fall. By early December, I was real worried about it. And by late December, I was like, well, this is going to be ugly and it was. And sadly, you know, I was keeping such a close eye on them, and those see-through inner covers that I told you about, I, you know, I had way too good of a view of this whole uh, slow motion car crash. Essentially, that early cold, it's like it sloughed off the outer layer of bees. That's exactly what it looked like. Then the clusters were just too small and the smaller they were, the smaller they got. Every cold spell they get smaller. It was sad. I got my punishment just having to watch all this, but I will definitely be doing the experiment of how to get to the right recipe that my overwintered nukes, the small overwintered nukes, do well in my drastic up and down microclimate. The whole mountain, of the, mountains of the mid-Atlantic, we get a lot of up and down, kind of like, like the Midwest, just different. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm, I'm going to learn from that. But it was certainly sobering because I had put so many eggs in that basket that I'd kind of been like, oh, well, I just need to, you know, keep just a handful of bees in the yard because I've got all these little starter hives, you know, they're going to be my seed corn. Nature said no. So, wow, the the outside bees who did well, they are just, they're my treasures. And I have been completely paranoid. I've been completely paranoid. I have them in one yard because I had had moved some from another yard all to the home yard just so I could keep a closer eye on them. And I'm glad I did that because I've been able to, to uh, feed some and to keep an eye on things and make sure that they got through the end of winter. But I'm also paranoid because they're all in one place. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, please don't let bears or falling trees or whatever uh, cause me any more trouble. Fingers crossed to to get to the other side of the the danger area. And then it's just, you know, the danger of them swarming. But I'm working on all that. My commitment to the bees is, is stronger than ever. I will tell you, there were some moments this winter when I was just reassessing everything, you know, after a year like 2020 and being a healthcare worker and I don't know, there was just a lot that I was like, you know, everything's going on the table. I'm looking at everything of what to keep and what to let go of in my life to simplify, to make things easier. And also just to, you know, get the irons in the fire down to a level where I can do things well. And I felt pretty bad about not doing some things well, well, not doing a lot well in the bee yard over the, the winter. But the important thing is, as I've mentioned to you, if you come out with live bees in the spring, you, you're you winning. <laughs> Even if you didn't come out with live bees, don't beat yourself up. Just resolve to do better. To me, that is, that is what mastery, and I'm going to use that term very, I mean, I'm making air quotes right now because you don't, in my opinion. No one masters bees. Bees are masters of themselves only. To to master a craft, to master a craft, it's, it takes decades, and I've only I'm only one decade in, and I'm also trying to do some trick riding out there in the bee yard, and in doing it without chemicals, it's not been easy. But I'm going into the year with some determination to do a few things slightly different, and to do a lot of things uh, better. One of my best bee friends and I, we've had some conversations about, you know, how it's it basically get more hives than you can adequately take care of. I mean, they're all so beautiful and so wonderful, and you just want more and more. And in the season, you can just reproduce more and more and help them and propagate them, and, and suddenly you have more bees than you possibly have equipment. But also, at least for me, since I still have my day job, it's easy to get into deep in terms of what I can take care of. And basically, for me, that's just a lot of attention and keeping a close eye on what's going on with them, how their health is, since I have been chemical-free uh, since starting, then I I d I don't have all the tools in the toolbox of um the of a standard beekeeping and so I have to get out ahead of things and not let things get too far out of control. The thing I did actually the most wrong was something I know very well not to do, and that was the dreaded late summer. I just, there were things in the late summer I did not do in terms of checking to make sure that they were getting enough flow to keep laying. I've I've mentioned this many times before, But in the late summer, it's very easy, if you happen to have the varieties of bees that go down to a very small cluster, if the flow is not on, then it's very easy to get down to too small of a cluster. And with mite pressure and the inevitable uh, virus pressure that comes with that hand in hand, there's, there's not a lot of room for error. And so in hindsight, those were some things I want to do better. I am very lucky to have some good bee friends who are on similar paths, even though it might be slightly different, but are on similar paths and wanting to practice our craft with skill and to get better every year. And I hope all of you, wherever you are and whatever happened this past winter, um, I hope you will stick with it and just keep on learning. I have so much to tell you about in upcoming podcasts because even though I might not have been making podcasts, I was constantly listening to presentations It has been one of the greatest gifts of doing this podcast for uh, listeners to write and to email me with Zoom links to their club meetings and presentations that they had Zoom links to. And so I have gotten to listen to all kinds of amazing speakers, some of which I am able to tell you about. And then also in the in-between, go look at obscure uh, YouTube videos. (laughs) And I have some of those to tell you about that I I found and to share with you. One of the breakthroughs that, that I had in my mind, uh, this, (laughs) maybe just in my mind, uh, that I had over the winter was this big light bulb that went on, you know, when you're, listening to a bunch of presentations and a bunch of teaching about bees and the the part about the bees is consistent because the biology of a bee they're consistent but what is really really different is the beekeepers are the beekeepers. I had a, a series of conversations that back to back the combination of all of them are what made the light bulb go off and that and that is this what you do for your bees and the decisions you make for your bees and the decisions you Make on what kind of management all those things depend entirely on what your goals are, and this is something I've realized that in bee schools and in a lot of bee presentations, the speakers they they know what their goals are, but maybe they don't make it clear enough, especially to newer beekeepers, that the the management decisions that you make about your hives, if you are producing honey to sell, for example that is going to lead you to certain management decisions. If you, on the other hand, are raising queens to sell, if you're trying to raise a lot of queens and if you are about selling a quantity of queens, there are going to be decisions you have to make that will be completely different than if you're trying to make a lot of honey, if you're trying to maximize the honey. On the other hand, if you are trying to raise some queens and it's not about selling them, it's about what is the best queen that I can raise given uh, what I have to work with then if the business pressure is not there you're at liberty to do things that y- that you couldn't if the business pressure was there still your decisions and management are going to be totally different by the same token if you are if you just want some hives for enjoyment and to hang out with your bees and to learn this cool skill then the options to you are completely different than the options and the pressures on on, for example, a commercial beekeeper of any kind. What I realize is so many texts, so many YouTubes, so many bee schools, so many presentations, they talk about beekeeping Like it's all the same thing. If, I mean, I guess I'm just making this up as I go, but if you're trying to raise the fastest race horse, you're going to go about that different than if you are trying to raise the strongest draft horse. And you're going to go about that different than you're trying to breed the tiniest miniature horse. And and, and all that's going to be different if you just want a good, healthy horse in your pasture on your farm. This may not make a, a ton of sense to you if you're brand new, but, if you've been in it a few years, really think about what your goals are and really know, especially if if it's just not the fit is not right yet if it's if you're just not in a comfortable place with your bees if if you're struggling with that, try to get clear on what it is you like the best about the bees. If the thing you like the best is having a lot of honey to sell to your community then focus on that. Study on the honey part. And and I mean, unless you just got all the time in the world, the other things might have to kind of be on the back burner. That's if that's your focus. So anyway, it just dawned on me that a lot of the teaching is as if it's all the same. It's as if we're all doing it for the same reasons. And once you have that in your mind, it is a radically different process depending on where on that spectrum, you fall about what you want, what it is you want to achieve with your bees. Then when you watch a presentation or listen to a presentation, you are listening for the parts that apply to your situation. I mean, it's the same way that if I, if I listen to a beekeeper uh, give a presentation who is from Texas, yeah, I'm listening. I'm listening to anything that will also apply to me here in the mountains of North Carolina. But also, you know, when they talk about their bees never stopping the brood process or them being able to get in their bees 12 months of the year, that is just not, that's not our lives up here if we're, if we're further north. So to clarify in our minds about this applies to me, and I think most of us kind of get it after a while in terms of our bioregion Maybe I'm a slow learner, but it, I think it took me a while to really get it, just how different things are depending on on what your goals are. And one of the influences on that realization is a presentation I'm going to tell you about within the next few podcasts. And that was a presentation by Tom Seely that just was so eye-opening. If you are one of the few people in beekeeping who doesn't know about Tom Seely, please look up his work and read it and listen to his presentations. He is a real treasure to beekeeping and to science and to research, because if not for him, it is really amazing how much we would have no idea about how nature keeps bees. And by that, I mean wild bees in the forest. Other than Tom Seeley, there was so little research done Uh, before pre-Varroa, on what wild bees did and how many were there out there and how did they live and how often did they swarm and how nearby were their colonies, you know, how many of them were in a square mile of forest and on and on and on. And it just so happened that this one researcher in upstate New York That's what he studied, and as a result, the the body of work that he has is unreal, and it just, I mean, it just gives you pause. How much we would not know right now if not for one guy who was (laughs) following his bliss and studying wild bees, and as a result, after everything that happened with domesticated bees happened He was the only person that I've ever heard, or at least the only one that kind of speaks to um, an everyday audience, not just a a research audience. He was the only one that could say, wow, you know, this is what happened. This is what happened when Varroa came into the forest that he researches. And this is what the population did. And this is how many hives there were. And then this is how many hives there were. And now this is how many hives there were. So any presentation you come Across by Tom Seeley, particularly his latest ones uh, where he discusses Darwinian beekeeping. Whatever the price of admission is, it's going to be worth it. His book, let's see, I think it's called The Lives of the Bees. It's only the last chapter in that book that he talks about his concept and he's just named it this this Darwinian beekeeping. Like how do we adapt the wisdom of the bees out in the forest, which are the wisest bees? (laughs) You know, they're the bees that are there working things out in the way that nature works things out. How can we take the lessons that those bees show us and apply it to beekeeping? We're not we're never going to mimic it. I mean the only way to do truly natural beekeeping is in my opinion, truly natural beekeeping is to leave them in the trees to not mess with them. <laughs> that is truly natural beekeeping. Anytime, in my opinion, that we take them out of the trees and put them in our boxes and manage them in any way, even just the act of putting them in a box and the act of opening them up or the, in any of the interactions that we have, that changes them. And it is, it is, uh, and that's not all bad. We have the option to work with our bees. In in a way that actually helps our domesticated bees to thrive and that actually helps to not hurt the wild bee stocks in any way so so anyway sorry I didn't mean to get off on that obviously I've got a lot of pin-up thoughts because I haven't had the chance to talk to y'all for a few months I'm going to close this now just a couple of announcements one is patrons Y'all have been so kind to stick with me. Patreon charges have been on hold because since I haven't been uh, making anything for you and, and that will be true uh, for April. There'll be no, Patreon will not, charge dollar or up that each of you uh, donate to keep this podcast going. So it's another freebie month because you, you guys deserve it because you've been supportive. You are willing to help make this podcast happen. And I'll just tell you, it is because of y'all that I have made the effort to come back and I want to keep up the podcast because it means so much when people are willing to to put their dollars behind your work. This is a casual creation. It is not fancy, It obviously. It's not produced by anybody but me and Merkel sitting in our chair with an iPad but it is heartfelt and I do hope that it helps some of you either just to not be bored on long car trips when you are missing your bees or to learn something or new techniques or new ways to think about things. I just I hope it's helpful. I really appreciate when you guys contact me and let me know what is helpful and what you'd like to hear more about. The other announcement is I'm going to kind of go back to the roots on this podcast and Try to do them just more on the fly, more casual, less editing, just throw it together and put it out there in faith that it's helpful to someone. That's kind of a warning, I guess. <laughs> that it, that it might sound rougher than it was for a while after I learned a little audio editing, but the truth is editing takes forever. It is so slow. And so you can very easily just take a half of the day just to clean up all the all the uhs and does and everything in the audio and and try to make it sound decent. And the truth is, I kind of believe and, and y'all just let me believe this if you can. (laughs) But I kind of believe that most people are just tuning in for information and for camaraderie about bees and to hear bee talk. There's not always a lot of people in your life who will just ramble about bees or listen or think about bees with you. (laughs) I hope this is all of that. Just for time's sake, I'm gonna try to be less OCD and just put it out there for use. I hope you'll bear with me. Again, patrons, you have been the little beacon that has brought me back here and kept me going. So in the next couple of episodes, I want to tell you everything I've learned about Tom Seeley's latest work. I want to tell you about an adventure I have had from a book I did not order that showed up on my doorstep and I wasn't, first I was going to send it back and then, and then I didn't. And then I thought, well, I'll just give this to somebody else because I don't want to read this. And then I was kind of flipping through it. You know how this is. (laughs) In the winter, you're flipping through it and I'm like, huh, this is interesting. And then I start reading it. And then an antique postcard of beehives came my way. And I'm like, wow, what kind of beehives are these? And it turned. Out to be the obscure kind of beehives that are in the book I was reading, and you know when synchronicity speaks to you like that, you have to follow the thread, and I and I did, and I'm trying out a new type of hive, the lions hive. That's just a whole rabbit hole <laughs> that I'll, I'll go down with you. I want to share with you the the little record keeping technique that I discovered last year. Still have that to talk to you about. I have some folks lined up to interview some of whom you have heard from and some who are new. So I hope you will stick with me. I look forward to talking to you soon. Enjoy spring knocking on your door, whether it's loud or still down the road, depending on where you are. I'm so glad you've chosen to join me again. Talk to you soon.